Well, I promised to try and tie in the song, didn't I? Hallelujah. Praise you, the Lord. Um, you know, once we kind of learnt what was our part, the, it became like a command, didn't it, to sing that piece, told us what we had to do at a given time. We would say the word and then we knew, ah, it's my time, I, I, I need to stand up. Or alternatively, it's not my time, I need to sit down. Somehow the word association triggered a response um, within us. It's a little bit like the children's game in one sense, although it has a whole better spiritual meaning, but the, but the children's game, Simon says, and uh, every teacher, I think, has played it at, at some time with their class. And, and that is you give the children, you know, um, some sort of benign command. And, and if it's prefaced with Simon Says, well, they have to do it. But, but if it doesn't have that preface, then, oh, you don't, want to get, you don't want to get caught out. That would be really embarrassing. So you've all played that game. It's almost like the name Simon authorizes a particular action. I don't know who Simon is. And maybe somebody can enlighten me later. Who is Simon? But anyway, if Simon says, then obviously, well, I ought to do this. And so it comes down to invoking a bit of a name, sometimes an association, but invoking a name that authorizes something. And I wanted to, we all know that it's Christians um, by invoking the name of Jesus, there is great authority. But I wanted to explore with you this morning exactly how does that work? What's the dynamic here? And what authority can you expect as a Christian? What authority do you have? What authority do you, do you have over sin? What authority do you have over the demonic? What authority do you have over bad habits? What authority do you have over the complex array of situations that push in on your life from day to day? Do you have authority? What authority do you have and, and how does it work? And where does, of course, the name of Jesus fit, fit into all of this? What authority do we have in the Christian life? I want to explore this together because... Do you remember our theme this year is to walk as Jesus walked? Well, what authority do we have to do that? How are we to, to walk as Jesus walked? Um, our little motto, and you have it hopefully on the bookmark, is to walk on earth as we are known in heaven. How are we known in heaven? Are we, are we a people who, in the heavenly realms, actually carry a certain authority with us? What does this, what does this look like? So open up your your Bible's with me, and let's read from Mark. And we're going to read um, from chapter 1, verses 21 to 28. An incident early on in the ministry of Jesus involving a man who was possessed by a demon. We want to try to understand better the authority that is ours in Jesus Christ. So let's read Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through to 28. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. 
the people were also amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. In verse 21, we see Jesus began to teach. Wouldn't you like to be in that synagogue at that moment? Jesus began to teach. We have the scriptures. We, we um, open them up as, as often as we can. And, and we have certain people from our, our church at different times um, expound on those scriptures as best as they can. We love to teach. We love to identify gifted teachers. And, and we love to hear the word of the God, the word of God. But how much would you love to sit under the very teaching of Jesus himself? Wouldn't you have loved to be in that synagogue at that time? Jesus began to teach. But what did he teach? What was it? Well, we know a little bit because we know from verse 15 that, that Jesus came preaching in, in this chapter. And, uh, and he came proclaiming the good news of God, this gospel. And what was the gospel? Well, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. So we know this. That Jesus was proclaiming the kingdom of God. When you think of the kingdom of God, don't think about some geopolitical center, but think about the rule of God. The kingdom of God is wherever God rules. So think about the rule of God. So Jesus comes preaching, and he comes preaching this. The rule of God, the kingdom of God, therefore the king's rule, the rule of God has come near to you. And this is good news. So later on, a few verses later, when, when Jesus began to teach, what is he teaching? It's probably not wrong to think that, well, a lot of what he was teaching was about the kingdom of God. What does it mean that the kingdom of God has come near? What does it mean that the rule of God is now present amongst you? We know that the rule of God comes with a certain authority. Matthew 28 verse 20 says, there's all authority. I have all authority, so go make disciples. And what's the definition of disciple? He goes on, and in verse 20, he says, well, a disciple is someone who has been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We'll do that tonight. But then it doesn't stop there. If that was all we did was just dunk Christians and get them wet, well, we'd be missing something because Jesus goes on and says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to what? To obey all that I have commanded. Well, Jesus has commanded a whole lot. And throughout his, his ministry, the gospels record for us many of Jesus' teachings. The idea of discipleship is this, that we start to obey incrementally, bit by bit, obey more and more and more of the teachings of Jesus. Did you know that that's his plan for your life and sanctification? What is it that you want from me, God? Well, I want you to obey all of my teachings. And I want to say that this morning, if you aspire to obey all of the teachings of Jesus, you have all of the power of God at your disposal. There is no obstacle that can stand in your way, and we're about to see why. We're about to learn that. God's purpose for you is to be his disciple, to obey all. All of his teachings, not just the 70% of it, not just the 80%, not just 90%, not just to get that batting rate up a little bit. No, the whole gamut of all and every single teaching of Jesus Christ 
is there for each of us to learn to obey. And all the power of heaven is available to us to that end. A disciple, we could simply put it, is one who follows Jesus, follows him and follows all of his teachings. Discipleship is taking others to the one that we're following. Here's Jesus, here's me, I follow Jesus, I'm a disciple. Discipleship is saying, this is such a good life. I so wish you could have this. Hey, come, follow the one that I'm following. That's discipleship. A disciple follows Jesus. Discipleship is taking others to the one that we're following. But we have to be good followers. Otherwise, we can lead others astray. If we're not following Jesus and if we're not, we're not learning to obey all of his commands, then where are we taking the ones that we're hoping might follow us? That would be a flawed discipleship, wouldn't it? We want to be the best disciples we possibly can. We want to be faithful in our discipleship. But that leaves us with this mandate to ensure that we are obeying all of Jesus' teachings. Now, that's the rule of God. And the rule of God we know is good and righteous and pure and beautiful and perfect and true. There is nothing like it. If Jesus teaches it, then you can trust it. So we know it's a, this is a good thing for each of us to do. But gee, kind of sounds onerous, doesn't it? Like, is that possible? Well, we've just set the bar so high. Like, how is this good news? <laughs> All of Jesus' teaching is there, and I'm here. How is this good news? How is it good news to, to preach the rule of God or the kingdom of God? Why is this good news? How is this different to what the Pharisees were asking? The Pharisees had this intricate you know, kind of scheme of rules and regulations that, that you had to follow. Like, I mean, if Jesus had this many rules, they had that many rules. It was even, wow, how is this different? How is this good news? How is this not like what every other religion offers? Well, Jesus gives us a clue in Matthew chapter 11, in verse 27, he says, So all things have been committed to me by my Father. And then he says in verse 28, in that context, So come, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Obviously, the call to follow Jesus is different. The call to follow Jesus, while the bar is set high, while it involves learning to obey all of his teaching, nonetheless can be described as rest for your souls, the life you've always wanted. How is this so? Well, let's read on. He began to teach. What did he teach? The rule of God. Come, obey everything that I have ever commanded. But then he says, the people were amazed at his teaching. They were enthralled by it. They, they loved listening to Jesus. Somehow they weren't discouraged. Somehow they didn't end up sort of, oh, no, what hope is there for me? No, they loved it. They were amazed by his teaching. Why? Because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. He was different to the Pharisees. He was different to the teachers of the law. 
And then it seems that in the sovereignty of God, there is going to be a, you know, a, a kind of actual practical lesson as to why. And then, all of a sudden, you might think this is an interruption, but, but no, not for Jesus. A man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit starts to cry out. Now, this is kind of awkward, isn't it? This is Jesus was teaching and he was, you know, and now all of a sudden, a man who is possessed by a demon, he's starting to cry out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, I know for us, I need to comment or just stop here and comment a little bit on on a couple of things here as we, we try to understand this. But the point here, just before I go there, the point here is Jesus taught with authority. Not just was he authorized to speak, but here's the thing. He was authorized to act. A man who is going to obstruct the teaching of Jesus. A man controlled by the demonic who is about to disrupt proceedings and so forth who stands as an obstacle to people hearing the teaching of Jesus, a man suddenly cries out. And now we realize that Jesus had authority. He was not just authorized to speak, but he was authorized to act. And this is very important. And he deals with with this man. Now, what is going on here? Firstly, the man is a demoniac. We, in, in the Greek, you would, you would literally say he has an impure or unclean spirit. Some translations, and I believe if you have possessed by, they're not so helpful because literally the Greek would say inhabited by. The problem with the word, the English word possession is we think, you know, uh, possessed means to, uh, has a totality to it, doesn't it? Completely inhabited by. That's perhaps not the best meaning of the Greek. The Greek means... Um, is inhabited by an unclean or impure spirit. Um, The better word, perhaps, and some translations have have talked about this, is to use the word, if I could come up with an English word that was the best one, it would be demonization. Demonization, perhaps as a word, infers that there can be different levels of demonic activity. There can be some some harassing and, and so forth. There can, there can be harassing and, and impeding a person's particular growth or flourishing, whether that be mentally or physically or spiritually. So there can be, there can be that as well. And then there can be a, a state in which somebody is just, you know, totally enslaved to a demonic spirit. And there is this, this kind of a scale here. And if you had to call it something, I'd say it's a, a scale of demonization. And I would say, can Christians be demonized? I would, I would say, Merrill Unger, I remember reading a book of, of his way back in my Bible college days. He was interesting because he was a very conservative Bible scholar, wrote Unger's handbook to the Bible. Very conservative scholar, the sort of scholar that you would think, yeah, probably wouldn't think so. But he, he wrote a very, very helpful book, What, what Demons Can Do to Saints. And, and in that, he talks about, he unpacks this whole uh, scheme of demonization and what does it what does it mean, and um, and he talks about the fact that um, by and large, you know, uh, most Christians when we talk about demonic influence, we're not talking about total inhabitation, total possession of no, because the the spirit of God lives within us, yes, but there are things that we can do or not do, which can open certain doors to the demonic. It might be. 
um, sin that's undealt with, vows that have been made that are undealt with. It might be a cultic you know, involvement or some sort of idolatry. It, there can be a number of different things uh, that can open a door to demonic activity in our lives. Now, it sounds really heavy, but in one sense, it's no biggie, because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world, right? And so the simple, I think, invitation and, and teaching of Scripture would be, well, if ever there has been, you know, an area of your life where you've opened the door to, to something which is impure or unclean, a spirit which is not of God, all right, shut the door. <laughs> That's all. Shut the door. No biggie. You just ask Jesus um, and the power of God himself to come and cleanse and cover you with his blood. Uh, we um, uh, were, were conscious of this just recently. I was with, with Joel in Cambodia. We went to see one of the ancient wonders of the world in Siem Reap, Angkor Wat. There's a number of temples there. Um, depending on, on which part of history, uh, depends on whether it was a Buddhist temple, a Hindu temple, or just you know some, some kind of um, variation of that, a form of animism or or some syncretized version. The, the, the temples were used in different ways at different times under different reigns. Nonetheless, when you go visit them, I, I practiced um, what I would often practice when we were overseas involved in mission, and that is, do you know what? For centuries, this area and this, this territory, as it were, um, other gods, false gods, which really belong to the demonic, have been praised and worshipped here. This area, these scenes, these buildings and so forth have not been used for the glory of God. And here I am. What protection do I have? And so while I was there with Joel, as I say, not a biggie, but I would just pray for God's protection to be over us. Just pray for the covering of the blood of the lamb as we go into this area. And as we left the area as well, um, we're, we're in our little tuk-tuk and I said, well, Joel, um, that was interesting, huh? Lots to learn. But again, there is a, just a sense, isn't it? You I sensed it in which, yeah, there's something interesting there. You know, whenever you see a large building built on, this, on the back of slaves, it's interesting. But, but on the other hand, there was also this other element that wasn't quite right. So let's just once more just ask that everything impure and unclean that's not quite right, just leave it, wash over us right now. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for your blood which covers us. And we just prayed that prayer in the tuk-tuk and went and got dinner. So, so that is... Uh, Sorry, spiritual warfare 101 isn't, that's kind of in one minute. But, but that is going on here. How do we know, and it's a great question, how do we know that what's happening here, we haven't linguistically got it all you know, confused, that, that there weren't things going on in that culture, superstition and so forth, that, that we've, we've mistaken, we've tried to carry it over into a much more enlightened era and that's not what we're talking about. Well, it just doesn't add up scripturally. If you're going to apply a, a good hermeneutic, um, then you'd, you, you've got to look at this, and that is the language that is used in, in the Bible. Whenever Jesus is dealing with illness, sickness, physiological, psychological, when it's a, you know, uh, an, an actual illness or a sickness, often those who are coming to him will use the titles Lord or Teacher or Master. That's the language that they use. When the demonic is involved, the language shifts throughout all of the Gospels. The demonic are the only ones who use the titles Son of God, Son of the Most High, um, and, and other such titles. They're the ones who ascribe to Jesus titles that are actually his in heaven. Isn't that interesting? 
Others who were just asking him to deal with a sickness or infirmity, they, they use different language. Lord, teacher, master. It's only the demonic that use his exalted titles. And so that is one of the, one of the linguistic indicators that we have that tells us, okay, this is not just a, a misunderstood sickness. No, this is a man who actually have his problem is a spiritual one. His problem is that he has somehow a door in his life has been opened in which there is demonic influence. And so here is where, I guess, we come to the point of this passage. This is not really a lesson or a study on the demonic. It's not about angels and demons and that sort of thing. Do you know what it is about? It's about the authority of Jesus. And in the Greek, in just four words, he deals with this absolutely. Verse 25, in the English, we've added a couple of words. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Literally in the Greek, you could just say, all Jesus says to handle this situation, to show that he not... He is not just authorized to speak, he is authorized to act. He simply says, be quiet, come out. And it's done. Jesus is authorized. He has authority. He can deal with this situation. And that's the point of this passage. That's what Mark wants us to understand. That's what amazed the people. Yes, the teaching, but... With authority. Wow. This was different. They had never seen this before. And the encouragement to you and I today is this. Remember Jesus' purpose for your life is to obey all of his teaching. Whatever obstacle... Whatever obstacle stands in the way of that, your Lord, your master, has authority over it. Any authority that raises itself up against the teaching of Jesus Christ, Jesus has authority over it. Whatever stands in the way of you learning to obey all that Jesus has taught, learning to obey all that Jesus has taught. Whatever little obstacle might be there, Jesus has authority over it. It, it, might, be, it might be just doubt. Jesus has authority over it. It might be sin. Jesus has authority over it. It might be, it might be something to do with family of origin, and, and, but I was brought up this way and... Jesus has authority over it. It might be words spoken over your life. You'll never amount to this. You'll never amount to that. Teachers, parents, siblings, loved ones, people who had influence in your life and they've spoken something over you that has just stayed with you. Consciously, you don't bring it up and think, and that's why I'll never succeed. But you know what? Like a rope around your ankle, it always seems to stop you from getting where you want to go. Jesus has authority over it. Whatever obstacle rises up 
to stand in the way of Jesus' teaching and your obedience, he has authority over that. And I should say there, I skipped it, including the demonic. Jesus has authority over it. That's the takeaway. Now, you have to turn with me in, in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. And we're just going to read. I, I have to leave you with the ultimate encouragement in this regard. How much authority? How much authority does he have? Read with me. Come, let's explore this together. Ephesians chapter 1. We'll read verse 18 through to 23. Verse 18 is talking about the incomparably great power that is available for us who believe. The incomparably, can't compare it to anything else, great power for us who believe. Okay, so ready? What is that like? What does that look like? Well, this power um, is the same as the mighty strength that God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. For the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Why was Christ given such incredible, incomparably great power? Why? For the church. For you and for I, for us sitting here today. He has that power so he can exert it on our behalf. Isn't that cool? I hope that encourages you. Jesus has incomparably great power, not only in this age, but the one to come. Everything has been put under his feet, meaning it's under control. You know, like standing on a worm. It's under control. It's probably squished too, actually. So whatever obstacle there is between Jesus' teaching and your obedience, it's, it's under his foot. It's just, it's just a worm. Kind of deal with it. Jesus has authority. And he has that authority for you and for I, for the church, the body. He's been given this authority exactly because of the predicament that we face. Because we can't do this on our own. Listen, if this is the rule of God and we were left to accomplish it on our own, think about the Old Testament, that would be bad news. But this is God's rule and our desire to aspire to, to, to obey everything that Jesus has taught and commanded can be accomplished, can be attained, quite simply, because all of the power of heaven is available to us to assist. That's good news. That's the good news of the kingdom of God. That's the good news about the rule of God. The rule of God is here, we're here, 
but there is all the power we need to lift. That's good news. Really, really good news. Whatever obstacle stands between you know, your obedience and Jesus' teaching, remember, it's under his feet. He has authority over it. This is really, really good news. The good news is, is not simply that the rule of God is here. And oh boy, don't we long for that. At last, a rule which is righteous and pure and true and just and dependable. Like nothing we've ever experienced here on earth. Oh, a wonderful, wonderful rule of God. And for those who don't match up, forgiveness. That's great. That's good news. But it gets better. And power, authority to actually now implement the rule of God in your life and mine. It's good news, not just because the rule of God exists, not just because there's forgiveness where we don't match up to that, but it's good news also because Jesus Christ abides within you and I, and he is making this possible. That's great news. That's what the good news is about. So quite simply, how do we respond to this this morning? Quite simply this. And maybe you want to take a moment to just close your eyes and turn to, to Jesus and just ask him through his spirit to identify, is there any area in my life, any area of obedience in my life that needs your authority spoken over it this morning? Is there any of your teachings which you are calling me to respond to, calling me to obey? And like an incomplete ledger, they're outstanding at the moment. This is an area of my life in which I have not fully committed myself, fully surrendered myself or submitted myself to your rule. Is there any area that you would like to work on today, Jesus? Maybe you'd like to, if he's identified something, whatever that might be, maybe you would like to just say these words. I ask... that your authority would overrule that obstacle. Please authorize from heaven the grace that I need to be all that you ask me to be. Amen. You know the old game in the playground? I remember at school um, knowing that we had to do this and saying to my primary school peers, we've got to do such and such. And somebody saying, who says so? 
And all of a sudden, if I didn't have the backing of a school teacher realizing, hey, he's got me there. I really have no authority here, do I? Later on, I would come to um, experience a little bit of authority. When I was um, commissioned at my graduation as a police officer to represent the Victoria Police, I was given authority and symbols that said I had the authority, a uniform and badges and things. They're really pretty. Um, and one day at 12 points, Swanson and Flinders, the busiest intersection, my day came to go and exercise that authority. A D-class tram um, weighs about 38.9 tonnes. And when you've got a tram bearing down on you, you really want to be sure about, do I have authority or not? You know, when I, I give this signal, are they going to do the right thing or not? You've got to know your authority. <laughs> and of course, uh, I was taken out to the intersection and I was amazed by the authority I had. It was kind of, it's pretty cool. But you've got to know the answer. If the tram driver is bearing down on you with 38.9 ton of machinery and says, who says so? You've got, you got to know the answer to that. When the demon inside the man confronted Jesus, and, and I would say he was calling out who he was in a menacing fashion as if to try and control the situation and and reveal who Jesus was ahead of his time. And Jesus simply takes control of that and says, be quiet, come out. And, you know, the demon doesn't even get to say it, but perhaps he thought so. Who says so? <laughs> the answer was already there. Jesus. You just, you just gave my title, the Son of the Most High. You've answered your own question. I say so. He had authority. What authority do we have in the Christian life? You have all the authority that Jesus has. And Jesus says he has all authority. Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me. All authority. As you go from this place, as you go out into your day, as you go out into your week, as you go out into life, as you are confronted with big obstacles, as you are confronted with all manner of situations, and you hear the words, who says so? If it pertains to the implementation of the teaching of Jesus, the answer is very simple. Jesus says so. You have all authority. And verse 28 simply, simply finishes by saying the news of him spread. It's good news. It's good news. So you need to spread it. All authority has been given to Jesus. You have all authority as a Christian. This is good news. So there's three people you need to tell. You need to tell yourself. <laughs> you need to tell yourself Wow. Probably previously undiscovered degrees of authority 
have been made available to me to successfully live the Christian life. I need to tell myself this more often. You need to tell one another. That's what we call testimony, and that's what we're doing tonight. And we need to tell others who are enslaved to sin and not yet born into the kingdom. There is a freedom that you could never believe. I've experienced it. You've got to get a taste of this, buddy. Come, follow Jesus. Lord, as we um, um, embrace this message, as we thank you for it, as we continue to tell ourselves this wonderful good news, Lord, as we do these things, we, we just ask that, that you yourself will be our teacher and that we would know the incredible, extraordinary, incomparably great power that is available to us who believe. We love you, Jesus. Set us free to be all that you intend us to be. Amen.